Well, good morning. We're going to continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. And as we start out in chapter 6, Paul has identified a problem that we all struggle with. And that is when standing on our rights becomes more important to us than reflecting the love of Christ. And he gets right to the heart of it in chapter 6, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Pretty radical concept. For we humans who like to make sure that our rights are enforced. But it's not a new concept at all. We go back to Genesis chapter 26, we see that Isaac, Abraham's son, has gotten quite wealthy. And the Philistines have gotten very envious of all his wealth. And since they got envious, what did they start to do? They started to fill all the wells that Abraham, his father, and servants had dug with earth. What does Isaac do then? Well, Isaac starts redigging wells. And it's not real surprising that Isaac, rather than standing on his rights, took a rather passive approach. Because obviously, in a book called When I Lay My Isaac Down, written by Carol Kent, she has this uh, statement in her subtitle, An Unshakable Faith in unthinkable, Unthinkable Circumstances. And of course, he was with his father Abraham. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And the amazing thing about that, and we don't have time to go through all of it, but the Bible records that the very next morning after getting this message, Abraham sets out. He doesn't delay. He doesn't argue. Uh, <clears throat> just follows what the Lord has told him to do. And this is a three-day journey. So imagine all the thoughts going through his head. And then as Abraham and Isaac are going on alone, and Isaac becomes aware because he's tied up and sitting on top of an altar, and Abraham is about to plunge a knife into him that he is the sacrifice, there's this voice that tells him no. And so Isaac had quite an example of faith and faith and obedience. So in chapter 26 of Genesis, it talks about when they filled his wells, he dug some more wells. And then they argued with him, saying, this is our water. This is our water. Now I would have said, well, whose shovel's got the dirt on it? My shovel's got dirt on it. Where's the dirt on your shovel? But he didn't. He just moved on. And he dug another well. And again, they quarreled over that water. So what's he do? He moves on. Digs another well. Servants are probably quite relieved at this point because nobody argues over the water. And this is when the Lord tells him. This is from Genesis 26, 22. Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. So whether the Lord appeared to Isaac in a dream or not, or how he got this vision, he goes on to say, this is God speaking, not Isaac now, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Which takes us back to Genesis 12, where Abraham is told he's going to be a blessing. Going to be blessed by God to be a blessing to the entire world. So Isaac learned a lesson. 
Let God take care of the injustice. Let take God take care of it when you're cheated or when you're wronged. And this is what Paul is trying to get the Corinthian Christians to understand. Now he's not saying that you should just suffer like in a domestic violence situation and take it without getting help. He's not just saying that we should ignore injustice. I'm certain he would agree with Dr. Martin Luther King. who This quote goes, we are determined to work and fight until justice rains down like water and righteousness, like a mighty stream. But the key is, when we become more concerned about protecting our rights, rather than reflecting the love of Christ, but that's a problem. The author of Romans puts it this way, and this is not a quote, I'm just summarizing, this is in verses 12 through 13. Well, actually, this is a quote, now that I look at it. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in your brother's path. What is the author saying there? Again, there are situations where we shouldn't stand on our rights for the sake of our brothers, for the sake of reflecting Christ's love. Jesus even talked about that this way. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 41, he tells us this, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Well, in a book called The Second Mile, written by Mel Blackaby, he kind of explains that. Germany, Israel, was occupied by Rome at this time. The Romans were considered the enemy. And for a good, solid Jewish citizen to have to help them would just be not only humiliating, but infuriating. But the law basically said that if a Roman soldier wanted someone to carry his stuff, his pack or whatever, he could just pick anyone out of the crowd, and they had to carry it for one mile. After that, according to the law, he could put the pack down and walk away. You know, it's kind of like if you think about Ukraine, for example. Hopefully it doesn't come to this, but if Russia ends up occupying all of Ukraine, and they have some similar law that Ukrainians have to help their soldiers by carrying their packs for one mile, imagine how the Ukrainians would feel like being told by one of their respected leaders, no, don't just carry their pack one mile, carry it two. Again, giving up our rights. And Jesus even goes further in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Not telling us to stand on our rights. So what makes the difference? This is a quote from Mel Black of his book. In other words, when we don't stand on our rights, we take that to the Lord and trust him to take care of our rights. Mel Blackaby puts it this way. This is what makes the difference that Christ makes in your life. And this difference is clear. The world will see us on the first mile, but they will see a Christ on the second mile. And so that's when we're talking about lawsuits and taking believers to court, Paul is saying, What's that all about? What's so important to you that you would put aside the love of Christ to try and enforce your rights? Now, he's not saying that there's not a form for doing this, and we don't have time today to go through this, 
But again, in the book of Corinthians, it talks about how when you have a dispute against a brother, you can go to that person privately, and then you can go to the church and you can try to resolve these things. But again, what Paul is addressing, being so concerned about our rights that we lose our focus about everything else. That takes me back to Abraham. The example that Isaac was able to give up his rights, just keep digging wells. Hebrews 11.1 tells us this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and be certain of what we do not see. And this is what the agents were commended for. He's given us a definition of faith, the type of faith that it takes to give up our rights. So we can reflect the love of Christ. Then Hebrews 11.17 talks specifically about Abraham. It says, by faith, when God tested him and told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one only son, but for God's intervention. He was willing to even give up those rights. Again, Mel Blackaby puts it this way, to trust the Lord can be very hard when you're in a situation that's overwhelming. And then he gives some different examples from scriptures. He first talks about Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. It's a familiar story, but this is where the disciples have set off across the Sea of Galilee at Jesus' direction. And Jesus, after having ministered, is laying in the boat sound asleep. And this furious storm comes up. Again, this is how Blackaby speculates about what the disciples might have been doing. Imagine telling the disciples to trust when they were caught in this terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. They had gotten into the boat and launched out because Jesus told them to. Now their lives were in danger. And among these men were seasoned fishermen who knew the sea well. And their conclusion was, we're perishing. And imagine their thinking. The only reason we're out in this storm is because we obeyed the Lord. Why did we listen to Jesus? He's a carpenter. We're fishermen. We knew better. We put our lives in danger. There's no way out. Or we can skip over to John 11. This is the story of Lazarus. And after Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and close to death, he just stays where he's at for a couple more days, like he's waiting for Lazarus to die. Again, when he returns, can you imagine the thoughts going through Mary and Martha's mind? I thought he cared about our family. He didn't come when we were in, our, when we were in need. He could have helped, but he didn't. Or we could just look at the crucifixion and the resurrection. The disciples, after Jesus' crucifixion, they had left everything to follow this man. And now he was dead. Imagine what went through each of their minds. I thought Jesus was going to save the world. He couldn't even save himself. Now the authorities are looking for us. We believed in him, but he's gone. What do we do now? But the fact is, Although the disciples were convinced they were going to die in the storm, Jesus stood and said, be still. And nature yielded to his command and all was called. Although Mary and Martha were convinced they would never see their brother again in this life, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. They came out of the grave alive. And all the disciples were convinced their Lord was dead and all hope was gone. Jesus was resurrected. And he came to them in the upper room and said, peace be with you. alive. In all three of these situations, everything happened just as Jesus had planned. He was in control. And life seemed out of control. So how do we endure justice and wrong? How do we endure being cheated? 
and still reflect the love of Christ? Remember that when life seems out of control, Christ is still in control. Does that mean it's easy? No. It can be very hard. Rosa Parks, for example, started resisting having to sit in a different place on the bus when a white person would come on board. And her reward for doing that was she was arrested, she lost her job, but she became a pivotal point for the civil rights movement. And she was recognized nationally as a symbol of dignity and strength in the face of injustice and segregation. She was able to maintain that unshakable faith in unthinkable circumstances when segregation was the law of most of our country. Or Daniel Bauman, who was imprisoned for nine weeks in Iran after a two-week trip. And almost daily, he was beaten mercilessly. And he even indicated that on two occasions, he was trying to figure out how he could end his life by committing suicide. Yet in the midst of that, he felt God's presence. And God asking him a question about the person, his torturer. And what he thought about his torture. And through that experience, the next time he went in to meet with his torturer to receive, as he assumed, another beating, he just stretched out his hand. He said, well, if we're going to keep meeting like this, we might as well be friends. And he stretched out his hand to take hands. And the amazing thing is, they became friends. I'm not saying that always works that way. But God can do amazing things. He can do what we can't imagine. With our faith, it can remain unshakable, even in unthinkable circumstances. It's a challenge, but through Christ it's possible. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. Increase our faith. Help us to give up our rights rather than stand on them when it reflects your love, Lord. Give us the wisdom of how to do this and not insist on having things the way we think is just, but be willing to be wronged or cheated if that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name.